My name is John Cullen, and I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and curling. It's the story of Broomgate, how a single broom, yes, a broom, turned friends into foes and almost killed the 500-year-old sport of curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate, available now. You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production in association with City News. I realize that by saying this, I'm going to sound like your parents who used to tell you to eat your peas and be grateful because people are starving. Except in this case, it's pay more for those peas. A lot more. But still, be grateful. The steepest uptick at the grocery store since 1981. The cost of fresh fruit was up 10% year on year. Fresh veggies, 8.2% more dear. When it comes to meat, get this, beef strip loin cuts... 52% higher in price than they were just this past December. It became clear early this year that Canada and most countries around the world were headed for a period of steep food inflation. What has become clear since is just how bad it is and how bad it isn't yet. Staple foods have already become more expensive in Canada. Some of them by an awful lot. As well, our rate of food inflation recently passed the United States, which historically is a pretty distressing sign. But still, seriously, it could be worse. I don't say those things to lessen the pain millions of Canadians feel staring at their grocery lists and their budgets and wondering how the two can coexist. Not at all. But we are headed into what our guest today calls a global food crisis. So what I'm saying, I guess, is listen up. Because, yes, there are things you can do to make ends meet at the grocery store, but there are also things that we need to do as a country to make sure that even if the things on them cost a lot more, the shelves aren't empty. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Sylvain Charlebois is the Senior Director at the Agri-Food Analytics Lab at Dalhousie University. He is also the co-host of the Food Professor podcast, which you can find, you guessed it, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Sylvain. (laughs) Hello. Nice to talk to you again. Absolutely. And when we spoke uh, back in February... You told us you were concerned that food inflation was just beginning to spike. Um, Have the past three plus months been better or worse than you expected on that front? And our conversation was before the war in Ukraine. Yes, (laughs) yes, it was. Imagine. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I, I was concerned then. I'm concerned now. I mean, the there there are two added elements to uh, our conversation about inflation: the war itself, which really triggered a new cycle, uh, a new inflation cycle, really. And the war in Ukraine is significant from an agri-food perspective because it, it is impacting a very key region of the world, hmm. uh, where a lot of exports uh, do come from. Uh, Twenty-five to thirty percent of grain exports actually come from that region, so it's it's a big blow. 
Um, and so now what we're seeing uh, is more uh, what I would call nationalistic protectionism. So you're seeing countries panicking and, and hoarding and uh, basically uh, setting up embargoes and barriers to keep more food for themselves. We saw that with Indonesia a few weeks ago. Uh, with palm oil, um, hmm. and of course, India this week with wheat. So that's really the one thing that concerns uh, the world a little bit more. More protections will likely lead to higher food prices everywhere. In a few moments, I'm going to get you to kind of break down, you know, exactly what Canadians are paying more for, because I know there's some specific groups that are far more costly. But first, we just recently got new numbers from StatsCan. How do food prices compare with the rate of inflation, compare with our peer countries, uh, or historically against periods of food inflation, just overall? And we'll get into the individual items a little later. Yeah, so I would say, uh, so I wasn't surprised to see uh, the the numbers this week. 9.7%, to be honest, is more consistent what we've been seeing over the last little while. Uh, so I'm I'm more comforted by why by, by the accuracy I guess okay which is shown by by the federal agency for for many months we actually we we were concerned about how uh, statistics Canada was reading uh, the inflation situation at the grocery store and we thought that that the agency was actually underestimating uh, the the inflation rate itself, but now it's getting closer to what I think everyone is seeing at the grocery store, uh, and it, it's getting closer to the numbers that we have. So I wasn't surprised. Uh, some elements, once you go into the numbers, there were some elements that were a little bit surprising here and there, but overall, not surprised at all. So I know we kind of touched on the war and the impact that that's had on the protectionism. I know you could probably list. A lot of other things here. I guess what I'm asking is, is how did we get here? I know it's not one individual cause. Um, is it just the world has kind of gone off the rails over the past couple of years and this is the cost we're paying? Like, what's the big picture here? I think, I mean, I think you're seeing a, a perfect playbook to a global food crisis, unfortunately. So it's, yes, we, we are in trouble globally. Uh, Canada isn't really, because we're a rich country and we can buy our, our way out of a food security problem. But generally speaking, what you're seeing around the world is this playbook. And, and, and the genesis of it all is always, has always been climate. Uh, climate is always a factor. Every year, Mother Nature really will impact our ability to produce food. And last year was a terrible year. Right. 2021, with droughts in Canada, the U.S., uh, droughts in Russia, floods in Germany. Uh, it's it, it was just a terrible year. And we started the year 2022 really with very low inventories. So that's that's one thing. The second thing is the pandemic itself. Uh, the pandemic has weakened food supply chains around the world. The world economy is just not in sync right now. So to move anything around, it's more difficult to predict. It's more difficult to plan. Labor's an issue across the board. And when labor's an issue, you tend to waste more. And when you waste more, fees go up, uh, costs go up. And so whether you're moving food on water or on land, it's costing you more to, to move everything around. So that's the second element 
Just to poke at that for one sec, when labor is an issue, that means, um, you know, you can't get the workers, you can't keep the place open. So the food ends up rotting in the cans or on the docks. Is that what we're talking about? Yeah, it's it's a notion we call shelfflation. So you basically leave stuff on a dock for too long, uh, or and I think a lot of Canadians have actually noted that some of the products that actually end up at the grocery store uh, aren't as fresh as they used to. Yeah, uh, and, and they tend to expire much more quickly. So that's what's what that's what we call shelfflation, and it tends to cost a lot of money for the entire food supply chain, but it's costing more uh, to all of us, uh, for all of us as consumers. So that's that's the second element. The third element to this macro picture is uh, is the war itself. Uh, the war really created a new cycle. Uh, basically commodities are, everything is more expensive. Uh, diesel, oil, uh, weed, barley, everything. So it just, why? Because there's uncertainty priced into everything. It's hard to predict from day to day what's going to happen. And finally, uh, well, you got, you got really comp- countries just buying more for themselves. Mm-hmm. And so that's really what's unfolding right now. And it's making our food bill much higher as Canadians. As a country, when we talk about countries buying more for themselves, is Canada well positioned in this matter just because uh, we are so huge and have so much farmland? What Canadians may underappreciate is the fact that farmers in Canada farm for the world. They don't farm for Canada. Interesting. <laughs> so right now, a bushel of wheat is 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 about twelve dollars US uh, right now, like in, in Chicago. But a farmer in Ukraine will be paid the same as a farmer in Canada most of the time. So, okay. so you're not in, as a as a country, even though you grow a lot of stuff, you're not immune to inflation. I mean, it's just we're all impacted by what's going on. Farmers are price takers, and they'll benchmark their productivity based on world prices. That's how it works. It's always worked that way. Interesting. I think when when a lot of people think about this, you know. The end game that scares a lot of people is simply empty shelves at the grocery store, right? Like we're seeing now with baby formula uh, in the United States. Yeah. And I guess that's what I'm getting at. Like, is that a worry for Canada or is it not as much a worry as it might be for some places in the world? I think, I mean, the baby formula case study is is a, is an important one because uh, you you see there a category uh, where Canada is highly vulnerable. We we import most of the things we actually consume hmm. in Canada, even though we actually have a manufacturing plant in Kingston. That manufacturing plant actually produces baby formula for for China, not for Canada. Right. And and so so the plant was subsidized by the Canadian government. Uh, there's actually cow milk. Uh, sold to that plant, which is supply managed and partially subsidized as well. So you're seeing a series of just bad policy, really. Hmm. And what it boils down to, I think, when you look at the entire food basket, is that we need to think about food autonomy much more seriously in Canada, producing more for ourselves while embracing the concept of an open economy. Because we have to trade. We're only 38 million people. It's impossible Mm -hmm. Let's, let's go back to the, to the concept of baby formula. 
it, it's it's very difficult uh, to let's say we want to have all Canadians consume and buy baby formula for their infants. Uh, we, you want to make sure that that product is affordable. Right. <laughs> so you want to build economies of scale. And and by only thinking about the game market with 38 million people, it's hard to build economies of scale. And that's why I think Canada really needs to think hard about uh, about uh, about food autonomy as a concept, as Quebec is doing right now. They're, they're growing different commodities all year round while exporting, which is really what we need to do. My name is John Cullen, and I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and curling. It's the story of Broomgate, how a single broom, yes, a broom, turned friends into foes and almost killed the 500-year-old sport of curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate, available now. Let's talk about the food basket for a second. When you looked at the numbers that just came out, what are specifically Canadians paying more for? What stood out to you and and were there any surprises in there? Yeah, so unlike most observers, uh, what we do at the lab is that we always we always look at the last 2, 3, 4 months. Uh, why? Because there's so much going on right now to dissect the numbers and to understand what factors are driving uh, food prices. It's harder when you go year to year. Uh, so we've looked at numbers since December. And what we've noticed is that what's driving food prices these days are three sections in particular. Dairy, uh, which wasn't a surprise, to be honest, because we we did hear from the Canadian Dairy Commission last fall. We knew it's going to happen. It is happening. It's in, it's in Canada's food price report in December. Okay. So everything is basically about 10% more than in December in that section. Second, produce. Uh, not surprised there either because of freight costs. Uh, April is still a quote-unquote winter mm-hmm. month. We do export from, from abroad. So products like carrots, uh, broccoli, onions, cabbage, lettuce, all over 20% since December. Wow. Uh, al- although locally grown produce like tomatoes and cucumber over the winter are actually cheaper now. So again, another case for uh, more food autonomy. And lastly, the last one is is the is dr- our dry goods at the center of the store. So things like mayonnaise, pasta, peanut butter even is up 11% last four months. And, and the reason why I, I want to emphasize on peanut butter, peanut butter is a staple. It's right. It's, pretty, it's priced the same as the last 20 years, but now it's up to 11% since December. So you can see transportation is really a big factor right now. You mentioned a couple of produce items that have actually gone down. Are there other items um, that have declined in price during this? Well, thank you for asking. Reporters tend to ask me what's more expensive. They rarely ask me what's cheaper, but they are. Well, I'm just curious how some things can go up and some things can go down at the same time as there are, you know, you just listed like five different pressures on prices. I I know. Well, let's talk about meat, shall we? The meat counter has been a problem for consumers for at least two years now. But since December, we actually noticed that both chicken and pork are cheaper. Why would that be? I think both components of the meat trifecta, 
uh, have peaked basically because you can you can go high so much. I mean, you can there there was momentum, but at some point you reach a point where people just walk away. Mm-hmm. And so, but the one component of the meat trifecta which is still going up, and it, that that one is really puzzles me. It's beef. So some cuts. So sterling is up since December. Get this by fifty two percent. Since wow. December, 52%. So as a lab, we look at the 50%. We can explain some of it, but not all of it. Something is going on there. That's so interesting. And I mean, anecdotally, I have noticed this. As somebody who does enjoy a good strip line, it's crazy right now. Oh, it is. And uh, and frankly, so I'm not shocked when I saw both the province of Quebec and, 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 and British Columbia uh, see class action lawsuits against the beef industry. There's really something odd with beef prices right now uh, that are hard to explain. So on average, so if you exclude ground beef, because ground beef is actually cheaper right now, minus two since December, uh, all cuts are on average up 23 to 25% in Canada, which is really outrageous. Okay, this is a perfect segue into my next question, actually, because we did an episode not so long ago on inflation in general, so not specific to the grocery store, and the questions of companies posting record high profits at the same time as they are blaming inflation for higher costs. So I don't know if you can answer this, but you know, how can we tell out of you know these incredible increases that you're citing, how much is the core price of the food product? And how much is opportunism, I guess, among uh, grocery stores to, to figure out that like people are prepared to pay more now anyway, so maybe they'll pay even a little bit more? You know, the toughest thing as a social scientist to measure uh, is greed. Huh. I, uh, I was asked the same question by, by the Standing Committee on Finance in Parliament just this week, uh, and they asked me the same question. And, and my answer to the committee was th- that we don't know. We just don't know. There's not enough data to suggest anything at this point. But I think that consumers have every right to doubt. They have every right to criticize because of some of the history, recent history with bread right. and beef and other things. And, and I think America, the Americans have really uh, come to a conclusion that we need oversight from the leadership. The White House. The White House has been heavily involved in some of these things, accusing different companies and really keeping things in check. We don't have that in Canada. There's a data deficit in Canada, unfortunately, that doesn't allow us to really look at at things. But when when I'm asked by by MPs and 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 reporters, uh, are are grocers making too much money? I said, well, that's an easy question to answer. I think the toughest question to answer would be, well, okay, if if they're making too much money, how much is too much, mm-hmm. really? What's the threshold? What's the acceptable threshold in Canada? And and, and I think that's that would actually lead to a much uh, broader and more uh, meaningful conversation about greed. And, and what grocers should be allowed to make in Canada? We, we, we're not we're not there yet in Canada. We're, we're, I don't think we're even ready because it's just we don't have the data. We don't have anything. What kinds of habits around shopping and food are we going to have to change if this inflation continues or if it even continues to rise? 
Well, I have a simple uh, piece of advice for your listeners. Eat what you buy. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> if you do that, consumers on average will waste 48% of what they buy. Wow. So you walk out of the grocery store, you look at your bags, look at your stuff. It's 40% will actually go down the drain, will be, will be in the garbage. And if you start there... If you discipline yourself, making sure that you eat what you buy, you're going to be able to offset uh, all of the, 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 the effects of, of, of price increases you would see in dairy, in produce, uh, and at the center of the store alone. I mean, you can actually do very well. You just need to be disciplined. Of course, in the store, you can't save much. There's not many promotions. There's not a whole lot of, uh, of lost leaning going on. I get it. But if you become a food rescuer, like a really keen, disciplined food rescuer, uh, then I think you can actually do very well despite, regardless what, what goes on in the grocery store or at the restaurant. A follow-up to that is, can this continue to rise? How will we know? And I asked this question about inflation in general um, a couple of days ago to an economist. How will we know uh, when food inflation is peaking and and is ready to come back down again? And how, how bad could it get? So when you look at the current situation, because of Ukraine, because of, of, of the many uncertainties uh, that we are uh, considering, it's hard to really know exactly when uh, things will calm down. Right. But my guess right now is that we're pro- with the current cycle. If you were to consider the current cycle as a hockey game, my bet is that we're just finishing off the first period. So a long way to go yet, perhaps. Yes. Yes. I, I, I don't uh, foresee things to calm down before... At uh, the end of this year, I am hope I hope I'm wrong, but uh, there's just so many things moving right now, uh, so many uh, unknowns really. Uh, depending of how governments will react, depending of how industry will will react, and and different things. So it really depends. And frankly, the biggest wild card of all is China. How so? Because of of, of their reserves, because of their connection with Russia. Uh, they can actually make a big difference with uh, with commodity prices, but nobody really knows what's going to happen. In the meantime, as we you know wait and and hope for the cycle to kind of calm down, is there anything that our federal government or provincial governments could do to cool off the temperatures? I guess a little bit. You know, you mentioned the White House is taking a harder look at grocers. Are there levers we can pull? I was uh, I, I did register my disappointment uh, in Ottawa Monday when I testified. My disappointment about the budget was pretty clear. Uh, I, I think that the budget made uh, will make our agriculture greener, which is great. But what we need now is is a more efficient agriculture. And like I said, uh, we need a food autonomy policy, uh, just like what Quebec has, uh, like a clear vision in terms of how how much we need to grow, how, how much we should trade. We need to look at supply chain resiliency within our own country, connecting ourselves with other markets. I mean, those are the things that we need to work on over the long term. For this year, I think it's too late. Uh, I, I think right now we're just 
hoping for the best and we hope for a bumper crop we hope mother nature will cooperate unlike last year hmm. uh there's more moisture out west so that's a good start so let's let's hope that it continues but for this year it's too late i think from a policy perspective i, I we we need we need we need a vision and, and the barton report a few years ago really pointed to the agri-food sector as a as a potent place to invest and to actually grow our entire economy. And I, I actually did support that vision very much. Uh, we just kind of forgotten about that report uh, when it was tabled just a few months later and just moved on with our own little things. And hmm. what that's what we need right now in Canada more so than ever. Because with 30, like I said, with 38 million people, it's, it's great that we we want to feed ourselves and be food sovereign, but at the same time, we need to think about the rest of the world too. So this is my last question then. If uh, the prices are not coming down immediately, what will you be watching over the summer to try to figure this out? You already kind of mentioned the weather. Um, what's Sylvain looking at? Uh, so obviously the weather is a big one. Uh, I will certainly be watching uh, how countries react to the panic. Uh, there are, they're, they're, we, I'm expecting some civil unrest uh, in many parts of the world, specifically Northeast Africa, uh, some parts of the Middle East, maybe in Europe even. As the food crisis gets bad. Yes, yes. Wow. Uh, so, so I agree with the FAO and the World Bank. We are expecting uh, more than 100 million people uh this this year to suffer from hunger uh, and there'll be famine in some parts of the world too so i'll be watching that and see exactly how uh, canada reacts to all of these things and and of course uh, as i mentioned earlier china china is the wild card and and it'll be like the huawei decision was interesting but we're still making baby formula for china so hmm. <laughs> if you if you can figure that one out let me know I probably cannot, but I will end by saying that uh, 100 million people in food crisis around the world puts it a little bit into perspective when uh, you're shelling out 10% more uh, on your grocery bill. Exactly. So we're, I, in a nutshell, I would say this to Canadians, we should feel lucky and fortunate to show up at the grocery store and actually see food on shelves. There we go. Well, thank you so much for this, Sylvan. It's a pleasure as always. All right. Take care. Sylvain Charlebois of Dalhousie University. You should really give a listen to his podcast, The Food Professor Podcast. That was The Big Story. Thanks for giving a listen to our podcast. You can find all our episodes at thebigstorypodcast.ca. You can talk to us on Twitter at thebigstoryfpn. You can send us an email at hello at thebigstorypodcast.ca. And you can call us at 416-935-5935 and leave us a voicemail asking us a question about the show or suggesting a topic. We've gotten some great suggestions recently, including a couple we'll have for you in the upcoming week. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow. My name is John Cullen, and I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and curling. It's the story of Broomgate, how a single broom, yes, a broom, turned friends into foes and almost killed the 500-year-old sport of curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate, available now.